Welcome to the Books of Titans podcast, where I seek truth in the world's best books. I'm your host, Eric Rostad, coming to you from the beautiful Books of Titans studio in Franklin, Tennessee. My goal is to read 52 books per year and share what I'm learning. I'll talk a bit about each book, tie ideas together from a variety of genres, and share the one thing I always hope to remember from each book. Today, I'm going to cover David Crockett, The Lion of the West by Michael Wallace. This is book 33 of 52 for my 2020 reading list. Before I get started, I have a quick announcement. I was out on a run last week, and I was thinking about the upcoming election in the United States. And I realized that I really didn't know a whole lot about each of the candidates. Sure, I've heard a ton of information. I've heard a ton of people talk about them, and it's usually their the personification of evil, or they are the angel. And I wanted to get to know these candidates for myself. And so what I decided to do is to remove four of the books from my reading list and replace them with four books written by these candidates. And so I'm going to take the next month and read through these books, and then I'm going to share what I've learned in each of the upcoming podcast episodes. So here's the schedule for the the rest of the month. Next Friday, I'm going to cover Kamala Harris. The Friday after that, Donald Trump. The Friday after that, which will be October 23rd, Joe Biden. And then the final Friday of the month, October 30th, I will do a joint episode where I cover both Mike Pence and Joe Jorgensen. Joe Jorgensen is the libertarian candidate. So Kamala Harris, Donald Trump, and Joe Biden have each written a book. Mike Pence has not but his daughter has. So I'm going to read the book his daughter wrote kind of about Mike Pence. And then Joe Jorgensen also has not written a book. So I'm just going to find what I can online about her. My goal with these, these episodes is to share information about their biographies and their major policy issues. I seek to be as objective as possible and to present the information in a way that you cannot tell who I favor or do not favor. So if I if you can tell who I favor, then I have failed in my task. But that's what I'm going to be doing the next the next four episodes. And I hope you'll listen along. I hope you'll learn something about the different candidates. And I'm really looking forward to doing it. I've, I've started the book by Kamala Harris, and uh, I, I will be covering that next week. So let's get back to this book. Davy Crockett. Who was he? Well, to start off, his name was David Crockett. It wasn't Davy. He never went by Davy. No one called him Davy. They called him David Crockett. And that's what he went by his entire life. But there is a Davy Crockett. There's the Davy, Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier. That's, 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 what, that's what we know him as. And so what, what happened? How did he go from David to Davy? Well, that's what this book is about in a lot of ways. It's, you have the man, David Crockett, and you have the myth, Davy Crockett. And where does the truth lie? Where, what, who was Davy Crockett? Who was David Crockett? Was he more on the, what we know about him from the myths? Or was he more about who we know him as, as the man? Well, I'm going to go into that in this episode and, and talk about the different, the different sides there and, and where, where can we meet to, to where we, we find out who, who he truly was. Well, let, let's just start with some of the basics. He was born in East Tennessee, August 17th, 1786, and he died March 6th, 1836 at the Alamo at the age of 49. He was executed at the Alamo. He, uh, for many years, they thought he had died 
fighting at the Alamo to, to protect it, but uh, it, it seems more likely that, that uh, during the fighting he was captured and then was executed. He, uh, the, born in, in 1786, that put him in the Compromise Generation, and I, I looked this up because I was interested in this in, in the book Generations by William Strauss and Neil Howe. This was one of the most important books I've read for this project. But it identifies uh, a cyclical view of history where there are four generation types that that just go in, in order. So you've got four and then uh, th- those repeat and, and there's four more and then they repeat. And so you have common types throughout the years. And so being part of the compromised generation, just think of that 1786, that is after the revolutionary period. That is after the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And so Crockett's the the generation before Crockett, they were the they were the heroes. They were they were the they were the people signing the Declaration of Independence and fighting. I mean, you know, three years later, 1789, the, the Revolutionary War, but he would have been too young for that. And so he grew up in the in the shadow of of the greats, the of greatness. And you know what else is that same generation type? Where again, they're cyclical. It, it, they call it the adaptive type. It's the same as the silent generation. And the silent generation was after World War II. And so World War II, you know, these guys had stormed the beach of Normandy. They had, they had, uh, they'd fought in the Pacific. Uh, and then, and then the next generation, they're known as the silent generation because the, the generation before them was just such a go get them generation. And so it was neat to, to, to contrast those and, and to, to, to think about them in, in that way. We, we might be more familiar with the silent generation. And one thing that's always struck, struck me about the silent generation is that no U.S. president has ever come from the silent generation. It's almost as if they were just so used to the World War II generation taking charge that, that they didn't. And so that, that's kind of the generation that, that Davy Crockett is a part of. It's the compromised generation. It's this adaptive type of generation. And, and so who, who was David Crockett? Well, he was a frontiersman. He was always moving further west in, in an attempt to get more land. And also, as we come to find out, to, to maybe run from his debts. Uh, he was an adventurer. He was a soldier. He was a bear hunter. He once killed 105 bears in a seven-month period. He was also a lieutenant colonel in the Tennessee militia, a member of of the Tennessee General Assembly, and twice a member of the U.S. House of Representatives. He was really the first celebrity hero. I mean, there would have been some heroes in the Revolutionary War. Uh, I mean, obviously, George Washington would have been a hero, but that was more on the political side. David Crockett was the first man's man, just kind of the, the frontier's man, this first celebrity hero. And I, I think of him kind of as what we would think of as a Chuck Norris. Like he's just got this larger than life persona and you just tell funny, you tell, you tell fun stories about him knowing that they're not true, but it just, it just adds to the myth. And his popularity was, was kind of reestablished in the, in the 1950s when Disney started doing this miniseries about him. Uh, I remember going to Disney as a kid and, and uh, you know, I mean, there's a whole frontiers land uh, as part of Disney and, and you got the, the coonskin hats and, and the, the big rifle guns. 
that you can't buy anymore at, at Disney, but you know, they'd have the, the wooden guns as, as kids. So there, there's this, you're starting to see this, this myth come about him. He this larger than life character, but he was also the man, David Crockett. And he had a really bad family life. Like he just left all the time. He had a bunch of kids, but he would just, he liked being out. He liked being on the adventure. He liked hunting. He liked, he liked getting out and he, he really neglected his family and he would neglect things around the house. He just wouldn't do, do work around the house that, that needed done. And so that's more the, 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 the non-myth side, the, the non-flattering side of him. And here are a few other things that I, that I learned about him that were, that were really interesting. When he was 12 years old, his father bonded him out to pay off a debt. So his father was always in debt. And as a way to pay off that debt, he had his son work for the man who he owed money. And that paid off the debt. So first off, can, can you imagine doing that to your own son? I mean, you can't even let hardly let a 12-year-old out now to go to the park by themselves. And here his father bonded him out to another man to pay off his own debt for, for being poor with money, his father being poor with money. That was pretty wild. Um, Crockett was known as the wise fool. And he, he, he had that, that wisdom about him from experience. And he would tell stories of, of his experiences. He was a master storyteller and that would ingratiate himself with, with almost any audience. He could just, he could start telling stories and and they were, they were about him. And and maybe there were a little tall stories. Uh, Maybe the fish was a little bigger than, uh, than uh, it actually was, but he just had a way with, with, with telling stories. Uh, But he also had a lot to, to base those stories off of with, with his, with his uh, risk-taking and his personal experience and in a number of, of near-death experiences. He was also a jokester. And, and I want to read one part because th- this was hilarious. So uh, I mentioned that he he was a member of the U.S. House of Representatives. And and so he would, he would be a part of different... Um, well, he was a candidate. And so at that time, he would, he would travel with his opponent and they would give speeches. And so the people could hear uh, what each person was was the ticket they were running on. And what would happen is they would oftentimes stay at the same place uh, wh- wherever they were traveling to. So here's here's the story of of uh, Crockett traveling with with a man named Huntsman. And uh, before I get into the story, Huntsman had a peg leg, so he had a wooden leg, and that was uh, his leg had been shot off in a battle with the Indians. And so, it, it kind of led to this this symbol of, of courage for for him, but uh, but Crockett decided to have some fun with that on one night. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read here. On at least one occasion during the campaign, Crockett found a way to turn his opponent's wooden limb to his own advantage. The incident in question occurred during the heat of the campaign battle when both candidates traveled the circuit together, making stump speeches along the way. Often they stayed under the same roof, as was the case on this evening when they were quartered at the home of a prosperous farmer who happened to have a comely daughter. In the wee hours after everyone was asleep, Crockett crept out of bed, took a wooden chair, and rattled the knob of the door of the young woman's room. She woke up screaming, and Crockett put one foot on the rung of the chair and used it like a crutch to hobble back to his own bed. 
the farmer mistook the sound for the tapping of Huntsman's wooden leg, and aware of the politician's penchant for beautiful women, burst into his quarters and demanded an explanation. Crockett acted as a peacemaker and intervened. He calmed down the farmer, but not before getting his vote and a promise that he would tell everyone about the lecherous one-legged Huntsman. End quote. So, (laughs) Crockett having, having some fun. Uh, there, that was that was pretty good. Crockett was also known as a man who would always vote his conscience. So once he became a member of the House of Representatives for the state of Tennessee, he he voted his conscience, and that put him at odds with with other people, and especially with another Tennessean, Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson put forward the Indian Removal Act, and Crockett voted against that. And so you have two politicians from Tennessee and Crockett voting against the other Tennessean. That that was not uh, that was not looked kindly upon. But he he voted his conscience. He thought Andrew Jackson was was dead wrong in this Indian Removal Act. So as for the reason that I read this book, well, I live in Tennessee and I try to read at least one book a year about the history of this state. I actually purchased this book at Landmark Booksellers in Franklin, Tennessee. And one of Landmark's claim to fame is that they're in a building that was built in the early 1800s. And Davy Crockett has been in that building. So I I got this book in a building that Davy Crockett has been in. So that that's pretty cool. As for how long it took to read the book, it took me eight hours and 20 minutes. That was over a five-day period. And so there's 61 pages per day. Who is this book for? Well, history books come in a, in a variety of types. You can read kind of the grand sweeping stories of, of battles. I mean, you, you could pick up a book about the War of 1812 or the Indian Wars or, uh, you know, just any any number of books, kind of a, a broad, broad history. But you can also read a book about an individual who, whose life coursed through a lot of these events. And that's what this book is. And, and it's just a neat way to, to consider the events because you, you consider them from an individual's point of view. David Crockett fought at the Alamo. He fought against the Creek Indians. He fought, uh, he didn't get much battle time against the British, but he, he, was, he was in the Tennessee militia during the War of 1812 against the British. So he was in all these major points of American history, especially, you know, right after the, the Revolutionary War. And you get to see this life transpire through all that. And, and you see this man expanding westward as, as the United States is expanding westward. So it's, it's a neat book in that sense to follow one individual through, through all of this. For the rest of this episode, I will have two more segments. The next segment will be three things that that really stuck out to me about David Crockett. And then in the final segment, I'll cover the one thing, the one idea that stuck that stuck out to me from this book. Be always sure you are right, then go ahead. That was one of David Crockett's famous sayings. Be always sure you are right and then go ahead. So this this segment, I want to cover three ideas that really stuck out to me from this book. And the one I've gotten into a little bit is just this, this idea of the man versus the myth. And do we ever really want to get to know 
the man or, or do we long for the myth? Because with the myth, we can make him into whoever we want him to be. Kind of that Chuck Norris idea. We can, we can say whatever we want about Chuck Norris, that he can do this and he can do that. But do we really want to get to know him as the man? Well, David Crockett, he, he, as a man, he, was, he truly was a risk taker. He was an adventurer. He had a number of near-death experiences. He also had a bad family life. He, he, he did not take care of, of his home. But as the myth, he became a symbol. And as a symbol, he, be, he could become anything. And he did. He became the symbol for the age of the common man. Remember, I, I mentioned that the generation right before his was, was the revolutionary age. These were the heroes. And so there was this kind of desire just to, to get back to the common man, to, to prop up the common man. So he was a symbol for that. He was, he was the frontiersman. He was a symbol for manifest destiny, this, this push westward no matter what was in the way. Uh, the, the settlers were, were going to get rid of anything in the way, whether that was uh, trees, wild animals, or people. And so they got rid of Indians, they got rid of uh, Mexicans when, when he went south to the Alamo. There was just this fight to, to, to move forward. They, they felt they had the right to, to move forward and, and go westward. When I was reading this book, I, I kept thinking about Sir Walter Scott in Scotland. And he was born just 15 years before Crockett. And he was famous for writing these stories, these romance, these romance uh, books in a way about the Highlands, about the north of Scotland, and, and especially about the, the Highlanders and, and their way of life and, the, and kind of that idea of, of the common man. But the interesting thing is that the Highlanders were being cleared out of their land while Sir Walter Scott is, is honoring them by writing about them. And so in Edinburgh, in the, in the cities, there's this, this push to get back to this romantic notion of the Highlands. And yet at the same time, these, these Highlanders that are actually living there are, are being pushed out. And there, there were some similarities in, in, in this to where there's, there's this myth that, that gets created about David Crockett. But in reality, you know, while, while he is in debt... And, and not with his family. He's living alone. He's, he's kind of estranged from his family. There are plays about him that are, are lauding all of his great deeds. And here he is living alone. So uh, there was also, uh, when I was looking up the information in the book, uh, Generations, uh, there was a lot of information just about this time. And there, there were a number of romance books that came out. And so this was just a time of, of these romantic notions, and, and David Crockett really fit, fit that bill. I want to read one part, and this is actually in the very end of the book. I, I thought this was a good summary about this, this tension between the man and the myth. So here we go. There was the David Crockett of historical fact, and there is the Davy Crockett of our collective imagination. The first was a man who led a most interesting and colorful life. The other is the American myth, featuring Crockett as a symbolic figure with superhuman powers, in this version, Crockett is frequently used by others to pr promote their own interests. Both Crockett and the Alamo remain ensnared in clouds of myth. In the end, Crockett was a uniquely American character and a formidable hero in his own right. He should not be judged by his death, but rather by his life, including the good and the bad and the shades of gray. Consider him as a legend and a hero, but always bear in mind that he was a man willing to take a risk. That was what he symbolized, and that is how he should be remembered. 
end quote. Second thing that stuck out to me was just how his wife, his, his wife, his life wove through major events in U.S. history with the Alamo, with, with fighting against the British, fighting in the Creek Wars. Just an amazing to see his life weave through all these different events. There's another thing that, that, uh, that, hit, that was just kind of an interesting coincidence. And this is with a word. And I mentioned that that there were plays about David Crockett and, and kind of building on that myth of him while, while he was still alive. And the person that would play play him, his name was Nimrod Wildfire. And this was the person that would play David Crockett in, in these plays. And he would he would come up with all these words that he thought David Crockett, uh, David Crockett might say, but, but David Crockett didn't necessarily say these, but it, it kind of led to this myth of, of these were the, the slang or the idioms that, uh, that he would have used. And one of these words was Soctologer. And there's an interesting history about the word. So, so let, me, let me read some different parts here. But it was Soctologer, a word that meant the ultimate or decisive, as in a knockout punch, that became most associated with Crockett as a result of its usage in the Paulding play. While preparing for a duel, Wildfire and speaking of his opponent, brags, he'll come off as badly as a feller I once hit with a sledgehammer, lick over the head, a real sock to lodger. Interesting, interestingly, the term sock to lodger was widely used for many years, including by, by Mark Twain who as a young Samuel Clemens was taken with frontier stories. Twain was influenced by reading Crockett's 1834 autobiography, as well as the fictionalized accounts of the buckskin hero in the many Crockett almanacs that appeared for more than 20 years after his death. In fact, Sock Lodger actually appears in Twain's classic work, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Like Twain, Abraham Lincoln was also another historical figure who fell under the spell of the mythical Crockett, incorporating his style of self-facing humor into the fabric of his political life. Lincoln admired Crockett, a man like himself who grew up in poverty and became a national icon. Going on, ironically, the humorous word Soctologer figured in one of the most tragic moments in American history. On April 14, 1865, during a performance of Our American Cousin at Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C., John Wilkes Booth was poised outside the box where Lincoln, his wife, and their guests sat watching the action below. A veteran thespian who knew the play well, Booth waited for the line to be spoken that always got the most laughs. Well, I guess I know enough to turn you inside out, old gal, you socked a lodging old man trap. As the audience roared in delight, Booth stepped inside the box and fired his small pistol. End quote. So just interesting there, the, this word that Crockett probably didn't say, but was attributed to him in this, this myth about the man, ends up being the point in a play that gets the most laughs where John Wilkes Booth decides that that is the moment that he is going to shoot Abraham Lincoln in the head and assassinate him. It's kind of crazy parts of of history. Last thing that stuck out to me was was, uh, Crockett as the father and as the husband. Crockett's father, as I mentioned, bonded him out because he was in debt. Crockett's father was always in debt. And David Crockett never wanted to be in debt. He, he, he wanted to, to not follow that same path. And yet, he always struggled with debt. 
David Crockett was continually in debt. He would you would go in and out of it, just make poor decisions, and and then other times he just had tremendously bad luck, as in floods kind of wiping out his his businesses and that sort of thing. But he became his father in a way. In in trying not to become his father, he became his father, especially in this area of debt. And then that just led to him not really taking good care of his family, just overall. So those were the three things that that stuck out to me in this book. The man versus the myth, just how his life wove with with different parts of, of U.S. history, and then how he ended up becoming, like his father, what he was trying not to do. Now in a segment three and the one thing, my one key takeaway from David Crockett. And it's this, it's it, kind of a side story in the book, but something that happened recently where, where we got a greater glimpse into David Crockett's life. And that's that uh, a book was found that he, he owned. And it was Ovid's Metamorphosis. And this is a book that he would carry around with him. And, and he really enjoyed this book. So I'm going to read different parts of this one section. Another literary work that influenced Crockett was an English translation of Ovid's Metamorphosis, which had been published in 1774 in Ireland. This particular copy of the Ovid classic came to the attention of the University of Tennessee in late March 2003, when Aaron Purcell, a special collections archivist, randomly scanned eBay.com. The online listing that drew Purcell's attention provided a detailed provenance of the book, published by John Exshaw. This, this edition had been issued by a family of prominent printers and booksellers on Dame Street in Dublin. Along with other information about the book, the seller included a digital image from the end pages. When he examined it, Purcell was stunned. He could not believe what he saw on the computer screen. David Crockett's distinctive autograph scrawled in ink. If, as Purcell thought, the autograph was genuine, he had unearthed an almost too-good-to-be-true find, a book that had once belonged to Tennessee's backwoods hero, Davy Crockett. Like many frontiersmen, Crockett was never renowned as a reader, and a book that he owned and signed at the, at the re- rear as testimony to the fact that he had read it could lend true insight into the man, and perhaps into the works that he himself authored or encouraged. The author continues and, and says this, it provided some additional insight into both the historic and the mythical Crockett. So that, that was just a really cool thing. I I love those kind of stories where just a book, you know, maybe some, in someone's attic, you, you come across this book and it's a major find like that. Uh, maybe not a whole lot of books that David Crockett had, and yet here's one that just comes comes to light in it and it's being sold on on ebay uh, i just read another book by uh well by a local author here gregory wilbur and it's about bach and there was a similar story where there was a, a book of his a, a bible that he owned showed up in an attic in michigan and it just showed the notes that that bach had taken during his life within this bible and it was just a major find and, and it was just sitting in someone's someone's attic so it was just a, a a cool story that that happened in in this book, and again, one of those just minor minor details that are put in the book, but just something I don't think I'll ever forget. Just that idea of of coming across a, a book like that, uh, 
be really cool. So to recap, there's Davy Crockett, the symbol, and there's David Crockett, the man. Oftentimes, the stories overlapped with some truth mixed into the myth. He was not a perfect man by any stretch of the imagination, but he, he did live an, live an adventurous life, and he inspired many. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at eric at booksoftitans.com. Let me know what you thought of this episode or any of the other ones. And if you've read this book, I'd love to hear what you thought of, of David Crockett, or if you know of other books about Crockett that you'd like to share, I'd, I'd love to hear that as well. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do that at booksoftitans.com forward slash support. You can follow Books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter. Also, the website is stock full of resources to help you find the best books and to create your own reading list. I'll be back next week discussing Kamala Harris's book, and that will be the first of my series of four episodes covering the different candidates. Until then, keep reading, keep learning, and keep listening. I'm out. I'm out.